0: Oftentimes, believers of that philosophy cannot digest that there is a divine here also.
1: You know, even when I mention it to my friends that I've had a tantra expert on the show,
0: everyone pauses a little bit and stares at <laughs> <it>? me. <laughs> in their own practices, they do worship following the principles of tantra. But when speaking in public, they don't mention it. Until 2022, <laughs> when Rajashe Nandi appeared on I... <laughs> TRS and made it mainstream again. We should talk about animal sacrifice. The animal for the Bali comes on its own. You've witnessed a Bali? have given Bali many times. Do
1: you have to eat the
0: meat? Tantras are very clear that there has to be an actual physical sacrifice. There is a significant population of people who eat meat. Specifically when there is certain kinds of problems which are insolvable otherwise. Spiritually, is it more wrong to go about human sacrifice? Okay. That's a question I will not answer. Okay, fine. More or less the believers and the average people. Average people are all more or less believers. Some spirituality they will believe in. You can never convince a skeptic.
1: You will be trying to explain it logically and in their eyes all you're doing is
0: la, la, la. that's
1: the truth you've performed rituals in graveyards graveyards no cremation grounds yes cremation grounds yeah. <laughs> it's Rajashi nandi who returns on trs once again this is the second part of our devi special conversation that we had it's always a pleasure deep diving with Rajashi sir on this podcast that's all i have to say before this epic conversation comes to a close this is the final rajashri nandi episode from this particular four episodic series make sure you check out the other parts as well but for now sit down and get ready to absorb <music> The final podcast from this series. How are you, sir? Good. Wonderful. Has it been different from the last time we recorded?
0: (laughs) Yeah, perhaps a little bit less of the dark and more of the spiritual, which is great, in my opinion. That's the intention you had like arrived to Mumbai with? When I first came last time, (laughs) uh, I had a completely blank mind. I had no idea what it is going to be. What is it the conversation will be about? Uh, but yeah, overall, I think it's good to have an orientation more towards the divine than towards the more mysterious, darker aspects. Because uh, as I was mentioning the last time, I in my, my experience of it is that if somebody um, indulges way too much into it, even from a very positive frame of mind that you want to do something, cure people or this or that, there is eventually a time when either you get out of the field or you will fall. Mm there is no endless victory here because the darkness is endless. And that is how the world has been created. There's always a duality.
1: Mm, Yeah. Even I feel a strong need to, I won't say undo the wrongs I committed
0: last year with putting out so much
1: dark content. I don't think it was wrong in my eyes. No,
0: not wrong in a sense. Wrong is a very strong word. Yeah. But it's fine.
1: Yeah, I feel a need to add more light to the world. This year uh, is about these kind of podcasts. And I'm, deep diving into my own uh, journey even more. Maybe Mm. we can begin there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there a book that you would recommend to all the viewers in order to kind of learn more about everything we've spoken about till this point? Or I could also frame that question as what's been the most impactful book for you Mm -hmm. in your
0: own journey with Tantra, with going deeper spiritually, etc. There is no one single book that has helped me. But overall, if I had to pick something, then writings of Sri Aurobindo helped me a lot in understanding. You, you mentioned Sri Aurobindo a lot. Yeah, because that man is a super genius spiritually, intellectually, philosophically. I admire him very deeply. And once I started understanding what he has written, and there is the catch to it because his writing style is can be very dense. Okay, it requires. A certain amount of concentration to understand what he is trying to say. I feel that way. Uh, when I had first read him, uh, I remember long back I had visited somebody's house and I saw that nice looking book, uh, Life Divine, which is like his main magnum opus he had written. I read a page and I understood nothing of it.
1: <laughs>
0: Individually, I can understand the words. I may understand the phrase and the sentence, but I could make no sense of what is he trying to say. I tried later on once or twice. Um, some uh, people who are uh, sort of devotees of Sri Aurobindo and the Mother, they tried to give me the books, but it uh, didn't gel with me, to be honest. And I, uh, in my n- very naive and uh, egoistic thinking, I thought that just way too wordy. Okay, these things need not be so complicated. It's more easy. But um, as I had discussed in my first podcast, certain spiritual experiences I had when I was told to read certain part of his writings uh, which came from the letters on yoga which are his uh, sadhaks used to write to him for for significant period of time he was in moan he he didn't speak but he used to communicate through writing and uh, people when they had queries they used to write to him and used to write back to them those are brilliant I find him to be uh, uh, extremely helpful in understanding, giving the foundational idea of spirituality and how it really is, how the things are stacked in the world, in occult and things like that. And I found later uh, with my practice evidences that every, he has used a language that is his own. It is not always exactly as per the Shastras. He has defined it in his own terminology, but then that makes it more difficult for other people to access what he has written. Uh, so there are. there's one aspect is that you can just look at it in a format of complete blind bhakti towards Sri Aurobindo and that's one way. And the other is you try to understand exactly what is it trying to say. Um, I feel that once that base is set, with that if you look at the other practices and the other whatever you do. So my my path is different from what he had taught by the way. He taught integral yoga. I follow Tantra Sadhana. But many things in my experiences I could really, really figure out and understand after reading a uh, substantial amount of his writings. Could you give us the essence of what he said? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so he has written about many things. Okay. Uh, uh, so like yesterday, we were talking about certain zones of spirituality which is beyond nirvana. So that to the average mind that may seem like completely blasphemous. Nirvana is the thing, okay, what is there beyond it, but there are stages beyond it. And um, if you are very objective and if you actually start collecting evidences from the lives of great masters, you will see that there are certain things which are similar to what is being spoken of, just that it was never written properly. Why? That's because it's very difficult to write about those things. It's beyond the spoken and the written word. It's only in Sri Aurobindo's writings that I find certain areas where he enters uh, and defines and describes which go into those rarest zones. Like what? Like like these. Like that is, uh, you know. So his fundamental idea is man is like a transitional animal. Okay. So mm. he's not the final uh, form. And then there are um, uh, the realms up. Of course, there are realms down. There are various types of entities and beings, etc. But there is a transformation that eventually will happen right now. uh, Say you have the rational mind, okay? Uh, From this mind, if you go into complete extinction, that is... is. I'm. uh, By the way, I'm just saying that I'm uh, sort of uh, uh, reducing his writings into a very small, compact idea. So those who are scholars of Aurobindo, please don't, uh, Sri Aurobindo, don't get, uh, you know, that... Okay, you didn't mention this and that. Obviously, everything cannot be mentioned. Just giving a brief gist of it. And... um, So, beyond the mind, there are other realms of intuitive capacity. And through sadhana, the mind can expand into those realms. Intuitive capacity. Yes. Uh, There is... Lord, he uses his own terminology there are various stages intuitive mind illum, illuminated mind and other things etc there then there is a stage he calls the overmind where which is the realm of the gods so it's like this look at yourself as somebody um, if your frequency is not tuned to those realms you will not get access to those realms okay your body is like like imagine i'm just giving you an example sort of in my way which i understand so you uh, say a computer has ports okay so different ports you connect to different services and whatever else so your body is like that so as you do practices you are able to access newer realms these uh these higher realms say intuitive uh mind and the other realms of the mind uh if you reach there then only you will see those things as existent if mm. you don't it they don't exist for you mm. Okay, and so there is a realm finally where there's the realm of the gods and then there's other, even higher, there's a very, um, uh, uh, how would I put it, an integrated realm at the beyond. So his point was that nirvana is one route after your rational mind, you can completely go into the nirvana and extinguish yourself. So his idea was that Buddhism, etc. does that, extinguish. Or you can say that, no, I don't want to extinguish myself, I want to transform the mind. Get the mind of the gods. Get the higher mind. Get the intuitive mind. Get the other mind. True sadhana. Okay. And he used to say that this was the original Vedic sadhana. So according to Buddhism, the
1: path is you reach nirvana and extinguish yourself, which I am assuming means
0: that you escape the cycle of birth and death. In a way, because they also uh, fundamentally believe Buddhism that there is no Atma. Okay. There is the concept of soul is not there. An atma it is said. Um, so basically there is no essence to you. What are you exactly? So if you say an average conversation in a Hindu way, if you speak, so what are you? I am the atma. I am the Jivatma. Jiva means I am the body. Uh, yeah, and there is an atma inside. Okay. But they are saying that there is no atma inside. There's nothing. There is no fundamental essence of what you are. Mm-hmm. You are just a collection of karmic events that have produced, brought together the body, your mind and things like that. It's like, you know, the karmas are flowing like water and suddenly they coagulate together and there's a mass formed and this formation is based on various factors, but karmic, more Mm. or less. Uh, And then you go about your life and things like that and you can be born anything, human, animal, insect, this, that, etc. Like this you go about and perhaps at the end, the final reality is that there is nothing, there's shunya. As in you reach Nirvana and then it's done. And this what I told you is very simplified version. Again, (laughs) I mention this always. That's because scholars will, uh, I interact with scholars also. And uh, obviously in that one sentence, they'll find that no, it is like this and this. All that is true. I enjoy that. But just for a very brief overview. So there is the Shunya. But there is one interesting thing I recall. Once I was reading an uh, interview of the Dalai Lama. Uh, Not that I follow him very much, but that interview a few years ago. Uh, somebody was telling him, speaking him, speaking about the mind and certain Upanishadic statements there. And the Dalai Lama, he was saying that, uh, so if the reality, if the truth is fully transcendental, then what is the use? I can't understand it. But if I change the mind, hmm, if my mind changes from the normal rational mind that I see, it changes, expands or something like this, uh, then perhaps I can see those realities. Okay, uh, Something like this he was saying, And I found it very interesting because this is also in a very short manner what Sri Aurobindo has been trying to tell. And Sri Aurobindo mentions, by the way, that he got the idea of these things when he was in jail. So at one point, Sri Aurobindo uh, was the most feared revolutionary in India. Hmm. Okay, there was a there was a group of revolutionaries called the onushilan Samiti. Uh, they used to do exercises. Plus, they were revolutionaries, and he used to guide them. And he was a leader. And the British were very keen to get him into jail. Okay, so that he doesn't get involved in these things, etc. So they put him into solitary confinement, complete, which is the worst possible form of jail. Okay, and I guess there must have been tortures and all that, etc. So he takes the Gita inside. That's the only text, and keeps reading them. Obviously, initially, and there is a stage of depression, you call it, or heartbreak, or things like that, a negative state. Eventually, eventually. <clears throat> uh, and there are very beautiful descriptions of, he. Un- first he has an understanding, then he rejects that understanding, then he takes another understanding. I took a lot of inspiration from that, because I myself had certain, when I started my journey, I had a certain understanding of deities, certain understanding of the path. As more experiences came, there are things I had to reject. Okay. And all these things uh, in a way I I noted down in the book that I republished recently, Adhat Mikta. okay. Uh, so my understanding of what the path is, and that is not exactly as always you mentioned. So the texts or the formal shastras give you a basic idea that is there, but it also has some changes based on the Deshkalp, on the context of the times, that is to be understood so sri Aurobindo was practicing his yoga and, and reading the bhagavad gita and uh, he had a, he saw swami vivekananda swami vivekananda had already left his body by that time okay he saw he had a, vision of, swami a sword, vision of swami vivekananda appeared before him in the jail and pointed out certain things of higher realms okay beyond the mind certain stages are there on that basis and few other experiences later when he came out of the jail by that time he was in a very advanced state so much practice he did in that state of incarceration when he comes out then he gives a speech it's a very famous speech of sri Aurobindo called the uttarpara speech it's brilliant it's one of the most remarkable things i've ever read so because he comes in and it is as if he is not speaking it's something else is speaking through him he is in a completely different state the man who was a revolutionary comes out as a saint he is in that state of mind okay then he eventually goes to Pondicherry and settles down there. And that becomes this place of sadhana for a long time. And Orville comes out of there. Orville comes out of there. Uh, I personally have visited his samadhi once. Uh, rest, his books are there. Uh, so that's been a great inspiration for me. And oftentimes when he's writing even sometimes a small phrase here and a small thing there, I can relate to certain experiences. And it's very difficult to explain to others if you have not had those experiences. So that's why I revere him very strongly, number one. Number two is that if you have to get a basic understanding of Tantra, and there are not too many very good books in the market, in my opinion. Uh, One of the uh, books, I had spoken about it earlier in one different interview, uh, was uh, The Principles of Tantra Shastra, Shakta and Shakti and etc. written by Arthur Avalon. Arthur Avalon was Sir John Woodruff. He was a judge in the Calcutta High Court. Okay. During the British era. And he went on to become the Chief Justice of Calcutta. So very important position. Okay. The white guy. Ha. Britisher. I said the story goes and it's very beautiful. It's an anecdotal story. He says that once he was, there's some case and all going on. And he's sitting in his chamber and writing the judgment. And suddenly he feels that his mind is clouded. He can't think properly. And as if there's a pressure in the mind that to write a judgment in favor of one guy, one of the parties. And one of the, uh, so judges used to have assistants and all that. Even today, I think they have. Um, so, so he asks him that, I don't know what is happening Why is the pressure in the mind. And this guy says that, you know, one of the parties has actually appointed a tantric yogi to sit in the court complex and chant certain mantras. He is influencing your mind. Okay. So he gets curious, and then he tells his other people, and they eventually go and you uh, know remove that yogi from the uh, that tantric yogi from the uh, courthouse complex. Okay. And the moment he has gone certain distance, he suddenly feels his head is very light, okay, and he can think clearly, and that pressure in the mind is gone, and he is uh, no more as if there's no influence on his mind, etc. And he does the oh, judgment. But this gets him thinking. How is that even possible? Okay, And he takes a tremendous interest. He learns Sanskrit. He becomes very good in Sanskrit. He learns uh, uh, the Upanishads, the Tantras, etc. He learns. He takes initiation in Tantra from one of the most profound Acharyas of uh, Tantra Sadhana at that time who was supposed to be an expert in Tara Upasana. His wife also takes initiation and he gets, he does it as Guru instructed him, which means that Guru told him that when you are doing this sadhana, you cannot sleep on the bed, you have to sleep on the floor, you have to wear a certain dress like an Indian dhoti uh, or those days, whatever chapels, etc., whatever food you have to eat. To the dot, he followed everything. And uh, he attained to Purnabhishek Diksha, which is a very high Diksha in Tantra. Uh, Purnabhishek Diksha. And then he collected many manuscripts of Tantra books of Tantra from different places, translated them, and he wrote in English, explaining the philosophy of Tantra and defending Tantra because that was a time British era... See, a lot of the negative perception of Tantra that we have started from the British era.
1: Wow, okay. Yeah. You know, even when I mention it to my friends that I've had a Tantra expert on the show, everyone
0: pauses a little bit and (laughs) stares at me. Goes on to
1: 2023. Anyway, go
0: on. Yeah, because it started uh, in a way... Uh, the sort of the demonization of Tantra started with the advent of Christian missionaries. So they used to look at Tantra and everything and Hinduism in general as something degraded and bad and the aim is finally to convert you to Christianity. Okay, So they started criticizing many aspects of uh, Hinduism uh, but more specifically on Tantra. Because Tantra, to was, as I mentioned, that there are different paths. There is one path where you believe that there is a creator God upstairs and doing something. That's one way of looking at it. Uh, oftentimes, believers of that philosophy cannot digest that there is a divine here also. Fundamentally speaking. So anyway, they they bracketed whole Tantra as some superstition. Okay, Something barbaric, <coughs> superstition, this, that. Unfortunately, many of the Hindu leaders of those times... Also started branding Tantra as superstition. This specifically happened because I believe there are a few factors. One is that so you are anyway at a colonized time. Okay, So you don't know actually when the country will get freedom. If at all it will get freedom. We have been under foreign rule for a very long time. And now the Britishers have come, who knows, they may live for another thousand years or something like that. So then the basic idea was that let's try and find some commonality with their religious culture so that we can say that, see, we are not too different. So those aspects of Hinduism, which you could project to the West, for example, Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, you say that there is a Brahman which is more powerful than deities. okay? Because the concept of deities don't exist in the other Western religions, the Abrahamic religions. okay? So you tell them, no, no, we don't worship deities, we worship some Brahman and all that. Um, like this, certain ideas were. Uh, I'm not saying it is anybody's fault, but it is perhaps the pressure of the times they lived in. So those were elevated more than others and things like tantra and all. It was impossible to explain to anybody, especially from the West. So they also started bracketing that this is all superstition and very bad and various other things, which I think is complete nonsense to the extent that um, uh, the Shankaracharyas of all people, the most learned of the Vedantins, Advaita Vedantins, uh, they know tantra very well. Okay, They are experts in Sri Vidya tantra. Uh, somebody of the caliber of uh, Karpatri Maharaj, who was a great Vedantin in North India, most learned people and guru to two of the Shankaracharyas, he himself had written on Sri Vidya Tantra, which is one of the most profound uh, schools of Tantra. Okay, so my point is that negative perception started from that time, and it kept getting repeated because uh, the other thing is that a lot of the gurus, uh, there has never been a mass guru who is a Tantra upasak. Even if there are people, though, uh, and I know this for a fact, there are people officially who are perhaps of a different uh, disp- denomination or different, uh, say whether they could be Vaishnava or something else, uh, in their own practices, they do uh, worship uh, following the principles of Tantra. But when speaking in public, they don't mention it. So more or less what happened is that those who are not practitioners define this, that Tantra is like this. And naturally that happens. There is a, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a complete mischaracterization of a terrific philosophical and actual path of sadhana, which has produced exceptional masters also in the past. Until 2022,
1: <laughs> when Rajashe appeared on
0: TRS and made it mainstream again. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so books by Arthur Avalon on Tantra. He was the first guy. Who actually wrote not only wrote on Tantra but he defended it very vigorously against attacks from Christian missionaries and even from Hindu scholars who used to berate Tantra. Mm. Okay, and he showed that how the, the principles are based on solid uh, spiritual foundations, philosophical foundations, and they have certain similarities with certain ideas of the Vedas and all that. It's a brilliant set of books as a starting point.
1: Okay, there is something I want to revisit from everything we spoke right now, which was about Sri Aurobindo. Yes. He went and settled in Pondicherry in Oroville. For those viewers who don't know much about Oroville, it's its own kind of township with its own almost rules outside of Pondicherry. You go there now, you'll see a lot of old white people mm. because I think it was at its peak in the 60s and 70s and a lot of people moved into Oroville. Mm. They have their own economy, their own mm. set of startups. There are one or two successful startups that have come out of there. Right. Um, honestly, like... I loved being in Auroville. I don't know how sustainable it is. I don't know how much into the future it'll extend itself. Uh, But that's probably one of the best, most amazing parts of India that I've seen, both in terms of visual beauty as well as the beauty of the things that are happening there. But there is local lore related to Sri Aurobindo and the mother, Mm -hmm. who I believe was a French lady who was... um, also kind of the co-founder of yeah. Auroville. Yeah,
0: in a way um, you can put
1: it that way. You go to something called the Savatri Mandir there. You go to the Matri Mandir, which is the main golden glow. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the round mandir. Hmm. You feel a very strong energy in both those places. Extremely strong, extremely ethereal. Um, The local lore says that Sri Aurobindo was performing a lot of experiments there to understand the nature of immortality mm-hmm. in terms of mm. creating mechanisms for the body to either reverse age or not mm. age at all. Mm. I feel like this is chatter from the same realm that you mentioned in mm. terms of higher realms of intelligence, etc. Whatever it was, he was looking for the next steps of human evolution. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Do you want to talk about immortality in yogis to begin with?
0: Uh, not much. that, But what? first of all, let me say that I've not been to Auroville okay. till now. Uh, perhaps uh, didn't feel too much urge I wanted to visit Sri Aurobindo Samadhi which I did and And that's in Pondicherry yeah Mm. that's in Pondicherry itself Um, that said so yes there are aspects of writings of Sri Aurobindo the mother with respect to uh, immortality and things like that Uh, I have read them but those are the aspects I keep on this side uh, with very little interest To be honest, for the simple reason that I specifically focus on those areas of his writing which are relevant to me at the moment in Sadhara. Okay. Okay. The ability to stop or reduce aging is a practice and an ability that does come to very high levels. Uh, people who attain to very high levels of spiritual progress. Extremely high. It's not, again, uh, the, as I mentioned, these are what we are talking about is zones beyond normal conception of nirvana. Okay, so Way after nirvana. Way after. And you might be able to do that. But I have a feeling that um, whether a person is able to actually extend his physical uh, existence. So another point comes in, just struck my head. So... Um, Why would somebody want to extend his life here? That's a question you have to ask. What is the benefit? (laughs) If world is misery, what is the benefit in staying alive more? Maybe to just help the world. How? I don't know, guide. So you can guide, you can, I, I told you yesterday in the podcast, you, a spiritual person, genuine one, once he leaves his body, he gets even more abilities to guide Mm. But sometimes it is possible for certain yogis to extend their lifetimes for many centuries, and those are not going to come so easily to you or me, for that matter, uh, to any ordinary person uh, by the process of. So yoga is a very lot of loose term. Let's say there are both hatha yoga and tantra has processes. But it requires more than process. It's not about a process. If you, if I use the pro- word process, you listener will think that, you know, certain set of techniques, if I do, immediately I'll, no, no, no. The zone beyond nirvana is a zone where you may think that you are in control, but there are some other, more higher powers. It's a gradation of greater, greater, greater entities and powers that are in control. And these are all divine, by the way. There is no darkness entering the zone. So, If they have a purpose for you, then only you will succeed. If they don't have a purpose for you, that no, they think that you will perhaps serve better. If you leave the body, you will leave the body. Hmm. So it is not particularly about do I want to or do I not want to. To give an example, uh, in in my last podcast, I was speaking about a Siddha who had helped me. I am extremely grateful there was a lot of things, a lot of other interactions which made me completely uh, be certain that he is no ordinary man at all. He's is a very, very, very advanced state. But he was very careful to keep himself hidden even when staying in society. So that even his, many of his disciples also didn't understand who he truly was, what he was capable of. Okay, He had the ability if he wanted to be alive in the same body for 500, 600 years or more. But then he says uh that uh, there's nothing else to do now I want to do even more sadhana. How do I do it? I'll go to the realm of the God whom I worship and I'll without the body it's you can for thousands and thousands of years you can endless times you can do sadhana in that realm in that realm what do you think that realm looks like uh, that depends on the deity for example. For example, one I believe that one when we describe of the lokas, so Devi Loka, Vishnu Loka, Shiva Loka, etc. So there is that energy of that devata most prominent, and only people who are well integrated with that deity, very close to that deity, okay, they remain there, and uh, you are in a very high state. It's like as if you are a reflection of the deity. Mm. Okay, uh, it's free from various. Confines and the weaknesses, and the other uh, disease and things like that, or any of the human uh, flaws are not there at all. Okay, and by doing upasana, and the, that's the way of serving the deity. And you can those. So we have this beautiful example for to just to give you a brief example in the Shiva Puran. We have this story that uh, there is a asura called Andhaka, the asura of darkness. So it gets very powerful. He uh, he decides that he wants to marry Parvati. Uh, and then there's a huge fight that ensues. And eventually, a uh, lot of, like, there's the divine forces, Shiva and all his, uh, you know, Ganas and all that, they fight with Andhaga. And finally, after a lot of fight, and this continues for a long time, by the way, it's not all, uh, those fights sometimes range from hundreds and thousands of years and all that so shiva finally pins him down in his trident trishula and lifts him up like that okay and keeps him like that and in that condition he starts uh um, his skin starts becoming dry okay dry and crippled and like that and he sings praises of shiva at that at that moment of just before death he keeps singing praises of shiva a lot there is a ashtottara nama he sings specifically very beautiful it's there in the shiva puran and uh, he continues this for a very long time and finally Shiva is pleased and tells him that what do you want so he says that Lord I have understood that you are Ishvara, you are the great God make me one of your ganas ganas are people who are beings who surround Shiva stay around Shiva okay uh, make me one of your ganas. And then Shiva blesses him that, alright, I'll make you one of the leader of my ganas because you have done a lot of penances at one point even though you are an asura and tells him that for 3000 years you will remain as a gana and then you will get emancipated. Okay. even So this uh, idea that each deity I was telling you, there are various souls or various beings very deeply spiritual, very highly spiritual who are connected to that devata they can spend their innumerable periods of time, long, long, long periods of time, in the contact of the deity. And that creates a sense of terrific joy. That is also a form of devotion, by the way. It's like the culmination of your spiritual process. What else do you need? It's it's a bliss that is indescribable, that only the devada can give you.
1: Okay. Um... Again, I don't know where this question is coming from, but Mm -hmm. I feel like asking you about the Kumbh Mela.
0: Okay. Have you ever visited? Yeah.
1: Okay. Would you like to describe people you met there, things you saw, (laughs) things that happened? What's the significance of it? There's lots of international viewers also watching this. Maybe you've never heard of the Kumbh Mela.
0: Kumbh Mela is one of the most important spiritual uh, gatherings in the Hindu religion, mainstream Hindu religion that happens in three, four places in India. And it's at a gap of specific number of years. So normally it happens at the gap of 12 years. Sometimes uh, there could be Ardha Kumbh, which means half Kumbh, which could be, happen in the gap of uh, six years even. Okay? And there are certain astrological Uh, combinations based on which it happens. So certain positions of Jupiter, etc, etc. But basically the idea is that at those places, on those times, there is an upsurge of tremendous positive energy. There is Amrita that is there. Amrita is the elixir that makes you immortal, whether figuratively or whether physically. So it's believed that it is there in those times. And so people gather together. There in those times as in? There means in that specific. So all the melas will happen next to the river. Holy rivers. Okay. So people basically come there. They take bath on specific tithis. Which are very important tithis. Uh, for example, uh, it could be. Uh, the They call it the Shahisnan and all that. Pudima, Amavasya and specific other tithis. They take bath. They do spiritual practices in those areas. Not only that, many all the sampradayas of sadhus come there. Okay, the Dashanami sampradayas of sadhus, who are uh, basically uh, uh, an order of monks, very popular in North India, which was started many centuries ago for both spiritual practice as well as protection of dharma from uh, uh, invasions and things like that, or when there were a lot of temple destructions going on, etc. So those akharas, akharas are like monasteries, sort of in the Hindu term of saying group of sadhus they all come there during uh, kumbhela all the kumbhelas where are they normally uh, they may be other times they may be roaming around in different places or they may be doing some sadhana somewhere etc like that during kumbh they gather together okay and the heads of those uh, akharas they also come there okay uh, and uh, they take bath in the river. There were um, so the sadhus, Naga sadhus also come there. Okay, during that time, and they take bath in the rivers. And um, ordinary people go there to take bath. First time I had gone to Kumbh was, I think, in the year two thousand eight six. No, two thousand seven, seven January. I think uh, it was in Prayag, Allahabad. Uh, Prague. I had uh, gone there and I had taken a bath during Moni Amavasya. I remember. That was uh, it was very nice. It was interesting. It was uh, beautiful. Uh, like the Kumbh, there is another mela that comes. I'm just taking the conversation to <laughs> another direction. Uh,
1: okay.
0: This is called the Ambubachi Mela that happens in Kamakya every year. During those three days I think it's happening as we speak. It just ended. Okay. 26th. Okay. Mm. Bachi Mela, that happens. And as I was speaking, there are a lot of of tantra sadhaks, aghoris, etc. They come there. Earlier times, it used to be less people. Uh, Only those who are seriously interested in this now, a lot of people go there. That is, uh, in a way, just like a kumbh. Only thing is, it is more of the tantric and aghoric disposition. Okay, those so there are sadhus who may come there during this ambubachi mela who other times of the year you'll never find them where they are okay they but just
1: where are they likely out
0: in nature outside of society somewhere in their own uh, confines in their own uh, you know settings which is uh, away from society uh, they're perfecting they're doing their own sadhanas and all that okay so they may come there but the difficulty with kum, with ambubachi is that because it's a uh, more uh, Tantra oriented uh, Mela. So sort of uh, it's it's good to go there with a group uh, because looking at the faces you can't figure out who is doing what type of practice. Okay. And someone can do something on you? Possible. What do they want from an average person? Not all average people but they may do uh I had mentioned this. I had an experience once in one of the... Just uh, just around before Ammovatch, many years ago. I remember they had, um I had met a tantric aghori type of individual who had certain abilities. So he was very... So he looked at me and started saying many in things. There's no way he could have known, okay? Including what mantra I was doing and what practice and things like that. He was absolutely accurate to the dot, okay? No mistakes, etc. And it was uh, it was interesting, and I got interested also. And then he suddenly said that okay, I'll, I'm going to teach you something, okay, X Y Z or something. And that XYZ I was very keen. I, I obviously there was a certain degree of desire to know that, which was. Right? So he was he was actually an upasaka of a certain mahavidya, okay. And he told me that, okay, all right, fine, you come at night. At a certain place, we'll go there and we'll do a specific ritual and you, etc. So I went there and then I figured out when the ritual was on, um, I figured out this is not what he... I just had a... I didn't know much at that time, but I had a, a hunch, sort of an intuition that this is something different from what, he's, what he had told and what he is doing is certain, certainly different. Mm, and I got very angry at that time. So I kind of... Very angrily told him, uh, got angry and told him that no, no the, whatever you are doing is wrong. And the if you try to cause any harm to me, the deities I worship, they will not spare you. Okay. And uh, somehow he just heard it. Uh, though I personally think that he was way more advanced in capability. Uh, he heard it and he just uh, did a namaskara and he got up. So he was not doing the Namaskara to me, but to the deities whom I named. Okay, he, he figured that out. Okay, So later I figured out he was doing, basically there are certain rituals that you can perform, for example, on somebody who is doing sadhana. Uh, so that after that, whatever practice you do, the effects of that practice will go to that individual, wherever they may be situated. Many, various things are possible in the realm of the occult. And um, so I'm not saying that everybody is like that. You could, Normally, you will have a decent experience. And as I say, as more and more people come, that also creates a certain degree of normal safety. I mean, if you follow your normal, uh, you know, average caution, when you go to any, whether it's Kumbh or whether it's here you go, uh, and you go with a group, you should be fine. Because the more esoteric ones, the more powerful ones will either withdraw themselves or make sure that you cannot figure them out.
1: Okay. um, You had spoken about this in the Hindi episode we had done. There was another topic had spoken about in the Hindi episode which was animal sacrifice. Yes, Bali. We should talk about animal sacrifice on the English podcast as well. Sure. There is also an element of human sacrifice that you've mentioned to me in conversation.
0: Uh, Used to happen at an ancient time. Not anymore. Okay. So, uh, animal sacrifice though, Bali, we call Pashu Bali, is a Integral part of Kola Tantra. Integral part. There is no question about it. Whether it is, whether one looks at it from the Shastras, texts, or uh, even the evidences from very great Tantric masters. They've all agreed on this. There's no, there's no, no two ways about it. You know, Tantra is a domain
1: with so many intricate rules. Yes. That I don't think as 2023 human beings, we have a right to question what's happening. If it's listed out in
0: that much detail. Yes. It's one of those situations. Now go on. Yes, exactly. And um, I feel that a lot of the objection that comes is based on either misunderstanding or on a certain degree of personal bias that people may have. So... um, some people even believe that uh, sacrifice has to be of the uh, inner impurities. So that is one level of sacrifice that is fine. But tantras are very clear that there has to be an actual physical sacrifice um, in certain types of practices when they are done. Okay, And I mentioned the term kola tantra again here because it was mentioned uh, earlier also. Because in kola tantra paddhati when the puja is done then you have to offer uh, actual meat, fish. Madhya, alcohol, grains, things like that. Okay. Actually. So even a great Tantri kacharya of the last 500 years, perhaps, very few people of that caliber in Sri Vidya school of Tantra, he was known as Bhaskara Raya. He was from South India. Okay. So he mentions in some of his texts that Prataksha is to be used. Prataksha means that which is actually there. So you cannot use a substitute for meat if you are in the kola tantra path. Only if at all it is not available. You are in a circumstance where you have to do the ritual, but you really do not have all the ingredients. So then you may use a substitute for it. And those are also very really listed. You cannot randomly use substitutes. So listed, what is the specific substitute? Like I was uh, telling you, one of the substitutes for meat is considered to be urad uh, dal vada. Okay. One of the substitutes for alcohol is coconut water. So it has to be coconut water. You cannot just take, say, say sugar sugarcane juice and say that, oh, this is, no very specific. Tantra is very specific of the ingredient, about the time, about the mantra, about the paddhati and the deity. Only then it will work. Ooh. And plus, there is an next factor, which is the sadhak. If the sadhak is incompetent, all the things also will not make it work. Okay. So these things are, now, my point is, when you are using, when you have to actually use meat, uh, etc. Things like that. So obviously, Bali becomes an integral part. How if you if you step aside from tantra for the moment, uh, there is a significant population of people who eat meat. Okay, whether one likes it or not, that is there. How is that meat coming? Obviously, there is something, some death is happening. Okay, and this has been the case for since the beginning of humanity, and it will go on. It's not going to stop. It is not even a question of morality, to be honest. Those who are um, want pers- so those who personally say that I don't want to continue with meat, that's all fine. But I believe that this uh, specific judgment that you know that somehow not eating meat constitutes some great degree of spirituality, not necessarily correct. It's just a personal bias, which doesn't mean that I'm saying everybody has to consume it. follow whatever is your cultural norm. Do that. but um, there is enough evidence of many great pastors who used to consume meat, uh, other things. and now coming to the context of this ritual though, Those who are into Gola Tantra and worship deities by this paddhati, they will have to use it. So where does the meat come from if you are not giving bali? Bali is standard. Now this is one thing. Number two, bali has other intricacies into it. Um, I have seen evidences of very high caliber upasakas doing certain sadhana, etc. The animal for the bali comes on its own with specific signs on the body. Okay, and if correctly given, it produces a tremendous effect, tremendous effect. But again, all of Tantra is dependent on few things. One is right time, right place, right deity. Uh, In general, my opinion on this is uh, very clear, which I've mentioned many times. Uh, there has been a concerted, the same in the same vein as I was mentioning during the British times, so there has been a concerted effort of stopping Bali in innumerable temples today. Hardly two or three, maybe four or five temples have Bali Pratha still going on in India. I feel that that is a mistake. There has to be 25, 20 to 25% of Shakti Bithas must have Naimitika Bali. Naimitika means on specific Tithis. Okay, so... The worship of a deity is uh, dependent on how the shastras are guiding you. You cannot, if you deviate from the shastras, so if you so you can say that no, I don't like this path. I'll follow some other path. That's fine. But if you are into this path, you cannot modify things based on your whims and fancies. Then it is not going to produce the result. As simple as that. Yeah,
1: uh, I'm a pure vegetarian. I've turned vegetarian. Okay, and we've spoken about vegetarianism a lot on the show. Mm. Uh, I believe that in yogic paths for the process of yoga to move forward it's recommended that stick to a vegetarian diet when you're fully engaging in whatever people call kriya yoga etc etc that's where I think the vegetarian narrative comes in also I just want to mention to the viewers especially those of you who uh, might be getting offended with what Sir mm-hmm. is saying and I'm sure there is going to be some people as is the case with every podcast I uh, I think you're talking as in rajashri says talking from the perspective of tantra shastra yeah which is rules written down and carried through time orally since ancient times that's why you're saying that you think it's a mistake that bali pratha is banned yeah. in certain temples and
0: by the way not just for most people actually don't among hindus one of the biggest problem is that 90% never read texts they have no idea what is written in the text, what their conception of religion is, what they heard from people who have also not read texts. Mm. So they have a very extreme amount of confidence that I have actually very little knowledge. Okay. So uh, the idea of sacrifices was also there in the Vedic religion. And in doing certain analysis of the Brahma Sutra Bhastras, uh, Brahma Sutra is one of the core texts of Vedanta. Many of the ancient Acharyas We are very clear that even in the Vedic sacrifice where a Bali, Pashubali has to be given, it has to be given. It is not even a question of yes or no. Uh, To the extent even that uh, Paramacharya, who is one of the most respected Vedic saints, Shankaracharya um, uh, of uh, Kanchi Pita, who is no more. is one of the most respected Vedic saints. He also used to mention the same thing, by the way. And this is I am talking about few decades ago. He was perhaps one of the most respected spiritual figures in India and South India. Just to mention the same thing. Because what is there in the Vedas is to be done the way it is. If you do not do it, you are... So what happens if you don't do the Bali pratha properly? So in times of crisis, and not just for an individual by the way, I am talking about society. A temple doesn't cater to only an individual. It caters to the energy level, uh, protective energy level, positive energy level of that whole kshetra. When there is going to be some kind of difficulty and if at all there is that comes, uh, the, the result and the involvement of the deity will also be very minor. So you have used a substitute, the result will also be a substitute. That is very clear. There is no two ways about it. And sadhana, remember this thing, is not about what you feel. I don't agree. Rishis are saying, all right, you go to a path that doesn't require Bali. No problem with that. But I will go to this part to Kola Tantra and then I will criticize that this is not correct. That means you're not worshipping the deity, you're worshipping yourself. Do you have to eat the meat of the animal? Uh, that depends on what specific practice is being done. Okay. It's a n- lot of people I know, a lot of people actually, uh, who are complete vegetarians and even in some cases, people of. Uh, uh, other uh, sampradayas and all that who come to Kamakya to give bali, specifically when there is certain kinds of problems which are insolvable otherwise. Okay, so Kamakya has a reputation. A lot of people comes there. Uh, come there to do certain uh, pujas and bali's and things. Very some problems which are very very difficult otherwise to solve. So it is not compulsory to eat. However, there are certain rituals in Tantra. W- In Kola Tantra, which is very high level, which is known as uh, sitting in a chakra and performing those rituals, etc. So there you will have to consume. The meat? Yeah. Whoever is a part of that ritual. Is it cooked in a certain way? Yeah, it's cooked in a certain way. There is no... You cannot add onions and garlic to it. Um, And there is a certain manner of cooking. Uh, Not just meat, there will be fish, there will be other things, etc. And that eating is not normal eating at all. Hasn't? there's a constant chanting of mantras while be not before, after, continuously before consuming anything. It's a it's a it's a sadhana, and it's a very interesting sadhana, and perhaps one of the most powerful sadhanas. When a group of uh, upasakas who are initiated, who know this, multiple of them, six, seven of them, can sit together, simultaneously do this ritual. So it is as if you you this ritual works by the principle of a certain non-duality with the deity. It's the deity who is consuming these things to you. Hmm. And your mantra japa carries on along with whatever you are consuming. So normally, what a food would have taken you, say, say half an hour to consume. This ritual may take you two and a half to three hours. Okay. Okay. Elaborately, step by step. There are a lot of rules where you keep keep, you know, how you keep the plate, what you touch, what you cannot touch, how you do, etc. There's a hierarchy of People sitting, who is more senior, who is A lot of things are there. Correctly done, it is one of the most powerful rituals. It's like simultaneously, a group of people are doing certain amount of sadhana of the deity and uh, it generates tremendous power. When
1: an animal is sacrificed, spiritually what's happening? To whom? To the environment, to the
0: person who actually is responsible for the animal's death. So, if it is a correctly done sacrifice to a deity who accepts the sacrifice, the deity becomes very happy with the sacrifice. Okay. Then that is uh, both what the Shastras tell you. Our Tantra Shastras are very clear about it. There's no no question of, you know, dithering in this. There are innumerable examples and details given there. Uh, The person who is facilitating this gets blessed by the deity. Okay. And the animal who is sacrificed, he is or that animal is taken to a higher birth. And that could be any, uh, any kind of birth that is more, uh, uh, you know, from the animal's point of view, that is more uh, better than what it was. Okay, what kind of life it led. So these uh, factors, by the way, are mentioned many times in texts. Many times. And that is also the same logic that is used even in the Vedic texts when they mention sacrifices. In fact, that is why some of the Vaishnava Acharyas also who were very proficient and knowledgeable in the Vedas, they themselves were not just vegetarian, they were strict ascetics. So there's one is vegetarianism and the other asceticism, which is like very little food, very little interaction, specific types of clothes, etc. But they even, uh, some of of the greatest Acharyas, they even mention that uh, the Bali is to be taken like, suppose you have an injury and you go to a doctor and uh, and those times, suppose anesthesia is not there. So certain kind of, initially you feel a pain because there is some operative procedure that may be done, but eventually you will be very happy. So it is to be looked at like that. And because it is done with the chanting of the powerful mantras, power of the mantras, blessing of the deity, eventually considers this whole process, it is to the extent they go on to mention that it is not to be considered as himsa. It is not at all an act of violence. It's an act of elevation. Provided you do it by the rules. And there must be elaborate rules. There are a lot of rules. The kharga of the mother, which is used for Bali. That isn't. Kharga means the, the weapon. weapon of the mother. Okay, with which the Bali is done. Bali Vidhan is done. That weapon becomes charged with tremendous power. Tremendous power. It is worshipped also. In many places, in some places when the Bali is given, before it is given, there is a mantra that is said in the ear of the animal. Okay. And once one of these Khargas are out of use, because obviously to use one day it will become, you know, blunt or something. You have to use a new one. So that old ones, even a bit of that metal, somebody keeps at home or comes, no negative is ever going to come near you. Whatever the dark forces we say, they are absolutely scared about this thing. Okay. You've witnessed a Bali? I've given Bali many times. What does that mean? Nothing. I've given, taken animal sacrifice, take a sankalpa, give to the mother in Kamakya. Goat? Goat. Okay.
1: How does the animal behave?
0: Uh, animal will struggle initially. Or you can, if if there's a lot of bullies happen, then the animal may struggle. And if there are some places where less bullies happen, then you do it at as quickly as possible with the least amount of sort of you know struggle or something like that. So that is why the bully always has to be in one shot. If the bully, in fact, the bully ritual is so important that the text mention that uh, it's the also the conventional living wisdom is that if a bully gets uh, if an error happens in the Bali you are not able to do the Bali in one shot it is to be taken as a sign that the deity has rejected your sacrifice and be absolutely certain that negative consequences will come to the individual has that happened
1: to you? no but you have seen things like this happen.
0: no I have not seen anybody's Bali uh, but this is an accepted wisdom so everybody knows it who comes for Bali the other thing is that Bali Pratha is also very popular. Uh, so, those areas where generally meat eating is more popular. Uh, so, Bali is a very standard practice. Even without the Tantra Shastras also, the common population, a lot of times, so they may have a specific desire and a mannat and what you call it, you know, to the deity, they may say that, okay, if you if this gets fulfilled, so that, I think that that is perfectly alright. Because, as I say, at the end of the day, uh, so for the vegetarian, it may seem like very odd or something like that. But there are innumerable people who are non-vegetarians. They have been so, they are today and they will be so. And they have produced great saints also, by the way. So all of the, some of the greatest tantric masters, whether it is Matsindranath or whether it is Brahmanandagiri, Puranandagiri, they are fantastic, high caliber siddhas. They've all given vali. They've written about vali, etc. Et so there's no reason to believe that uh, there is anything wrong that it's a matter of perspective yeah do you want to mention what you
1: told me outside about insulting the Bali or crying about it within the temple premises Uh,
0: I do believe strongly that uh, specifically for Kamakhya Peter uh, if you are visiting there uh, if you have an objection to the Bali it's, it's fine you can have an objection you can say that I don't like it so then don't go there that's my point if you go there and if you are highly critical of it, uh, it is possible that you will invite uh, certain consequences in your life after you come back from that, Peter. Because Kamakya is not like any other place. It is absolutely alive. It's charged and there is Ma Kamakhya and there are various other entities there surrounding Parivara Devata as you call it, etc., Uh, and I have seen this happening many times with people and I warn them this one thing if you are going there for the first time it's okay you may feel shocked by the Bali etc don't criticize you don't bother about it you don't have to give Bali you don't bother about it you be focused on the deity you do your sadhana you come back but if you sit there in that shetra and keep criticizing um, you are inviting trouble So, this is also the generic idea of the Rishis why so many paths were given. It is not because you sit in path A and start criticizing path B. Just because you don't understand doesn't mean it doesn't work. So, the reason why these were given is that there will be people with different temperaments, tendencies. For some, this is the right path. For some, it could just be some other path, etc. So, you stick to your lane. And don't bother about what the other lane is doing so long as they are following the Shastras. Okay. (laughs) Sunday
1: become the heaviest podcast of the day also we're doing it at the end after all these other podcasts every time i speak to you my brain is filled with so much information <laughs> that i take some time and i just have to be alone and process everything i've mm-hmm. heard it doesn't happen with too many guests it happens with you and maybe abhijit Chawda. Okay. You okay know, i get like the slap of information <laughs> um wow okay uh I've, I'm blank right now. I don't have a question. <laughs> that's that's honestly where I am because when you're speaking, I'm going to this whole world of Kamakya, everything that happens there. At the moment, I go to that world of Kamakya. The only reference point I have, because I've not been there myself, is the place you sent me to. I'll ago. tell you
0: when I first went to Kamakya.
1: That okay. story. Okay, go for it, please. We'll come back to my tangent in some time. No, you complete that. Okay. My mm. tangent was going to be about trimbakeshwar You advised me to go there and yeah. carry out a puja. Yeah. Called, am I allowed to say it? No. Nagabali mm. and Narayan mm. Bali. Mm. Uh, it happened maybe three weeks ago in my mm. life. Mm. About a month ago. Mm. It's been creating a radical shift in my own journey. Right. I didn't know mm. that... Pujas like this even exist, which can create such a shift in mm. your mindset. Mm. And what I've learned from you is that it removed something called dosh, which is mm. nine generations of ancestors before you. Yeah, a lot of ancestors, yeah. Which is mm. nine into nine. 81 mm. people's
0: karmas mm. get released. No, so basically, uh, uh, the Naranbali and Nagbali ritual that is done is that if there are ancestors who are stuck, sometimes they can cause a lot of issues and difficulties in an individual's life, in a family's life. Not just one individual, it could be, you will see a pattern in the family sort of, okay? Uh, Multiple individuals. Uh, Problems in marriage, problems, uh, oftentimes problems with children, either not having children or having children with uh, special difficulties or you know specialty that type of children which who require more attention than normal okay uh, or some other sometimes some diseases etc happen so these things can be figured out if there is an unsatisfied pitru okay sometimes it could be more than one unsatisfied pitru so there are a set of rituals here and again this works these things work like art art why that's because it is not a science it is not two plus two four just because you go and do the ritual does not Not everybody will get the result. Hmm. Some will get, some may not get. Why? It depends on the intensity of the problem. If the intensity is very high, there are other, um, there are rituals, set of rituals. Uh, Basically, you do that and you wait for some time and you check if there's an improvement, etc. So, this ritual, uh, Nagbali, Nayanmali can be done in Trambakeshwar. Trambakeshwar is one of the most powerful Jyotil Lingas and Shiva temples and uh, I believe that the form of Lord Shiva that is there, he has the ability to remove curses from an individual's life. Suppose you have attained some curse in some past birth, he's the one who can remove it. The form of Shiva. It's a beautiful temple. Amazing temple. On a very personal level, I've been feeling courageous yeah.
1: after that. like I feel like my self-doubt, which has been there for my whole life since my teenage. Mm. I think I was only confident when I was a child. <laughs> then it just went away because of circumstances, because of things I heard, the kind of content I consumed, mm-hmm. the friends I had. And it had gone till I would like to believe recently. And I can actually feel that radical shift inside myself. Mm-hmm. Now, some people might think this is a placebo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what I'm feeling. I right. feel like I'm a different person mm-hmm. since then. And mm-hmm. I'm becoming more and more courageous, more mm-hmm. and more confident as I'm moving forward. Mm-hmm. Very like rock-like on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks, <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, this was needed. But mm. uh, what effect does that Nagbali and Narayan Bali have?
0: If it is, uh, if if it has the positive way of, if if it produces the right results, uh, then it placates the pitrus who are disturbed. Once they get placated, uh, they move forward in their own journey, and it's like lifting of a burden from their individual. Certain blockages will get opened. Uh, many things, uh, disturbances in life, lack of peace, etc. It depends on where the problem manifested and you'll find suddenly that something more positive is developing there in that uh, area. Uh, Sometimes it could even be a cause for things like uh, psychological problems and things like that. That also could result from, uh, you know, problem of pitrus and all that. It depends. One has to analyze the horoscope and certain other things to figure out what it is. Um, that is there. And Nagbali is basically, if there is a sarpa dosha uh, or something like that, in the horoscope, uh, then that ritual is to be done. So it kind of placates. Again, it's it's like a, uh, it's like a the way we do shrad ceremony of ancestors. So we do shrad ceremony of uh, snakes, not actual snakes, by the way. This is like a replica of a snake that is made and then the ritual is done. But it has, rituals have their own power. If you do it, whole life is a ritual actually. Everything. When a sportsman gets into the arena for that, whether he's looking up or he's touching the ground, that's a ritual. It gives you confidence. A set of actions coordinated to cause some positive change inside you is a ritual. And all rituals are beautiful. All rituals are powerful. It's a language in itself. Mm. It's a language of communication. Those who don't know, they will think it is gibberish. Somebody who doesn't know English thinks that what nonsense is this? Some blah, blah is going on, etc. But if you know... It changes your perspective. Same thing with rituals. If you know what is happening, it's beautiful. If you don't know, you think that uh, some superstition and all that. The word superstition is thrown around very easily. I feel more often than not, it is more like an excuse for uh, oneself to justify one's lack of understanding of something. Mm. Or, jo will, main to, is superstition hai. or will to understand. Like, yeah, if that if is mean... also there. The ego is also there. Ego says, no, I don't want to understand.
1: Yeah. I'm too cool for this. I already have too much stuff to worry about. Very (laughs) good. Best of luck then. (laughs) It often makes me think of a skeptic spiritual journey. There's lots of people who just shut off to this. Mm. Lots of people all over the world. Mm. In fact, Earth minus India contains most of these people. Earth minus India, the Gulf, parts of Africa, parts of South America. Mm. The rest of the world Mm. is just in a skeptical Mm. predisposition at this stage of human history. Hmm. Not even willing to believe that there's something beyond what the eyes can see. Hmm. Um, what happens to these souls' spiritual journey?
0: Maybe circumstances will unlock a spiritual or path. Or they keep carrying on in their uh, in their normal karmic reaction to things that they're doing. That's all. It's a standard. It's like a it's like a machine. So you do some activities. There is some reaction to that, and you enjoy those reactions, good or bad, in the next life. And nature gives you the circumstance to enjoy those. And those could be very secular activities. It's perfectly fine. So that's how you keep carrying on. But I personally feel that actually in the world, skeptics are less. Really? I feel that there are this is a this is a different type of skepticism, which is suppose I am talking from a specific, I'm talking from the Dharmic point of view. Okay. You may belong to a completely different mindset, viewpoint. Okay. So you will feel that all this is doesn't work but you have your set of parameters to judge and understand these things see this is what works okay i feel that any given point in human history even past and now the number of people who are actually atheistic is very less okay people who actually believe that there is something more to the world than what the five senses can see have been far more and we have seen not just ordinary people, uh, whether it's philosophers, whether it's scientists, whether uh, mathematicians, we have had historically, uh, these things were integrated and it's like you get inspiration from these ideas that you execute into whether it's poetry, whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether art, so many other fields of human development have been there and in all, some of the other form of the spiritual was acknowledged. Not everybody has the same framework of looking at it Which is different, which can be different, but the idea that there is a spiritual realm was more or less accepted by 80 to 90% of humanity all across. Hmm. Uh, Atheism, this 80% sort of tolerates atheism. It's like they look at it as oh, okay, he doesn't have the capacity to understand this. It's okay. No problem. Okay. It's more like If I talk to you about certain things that you don't understand and you say that I don't believe. So, it's you feel a certain degree of mixture of compassion and tolerance that while the 20% feels judgment Haan, and a mein, of, I have understood everything, and these are hmm. all fools, and I am the only smart chap in the uh, history of hmm. humanity. Uh, so more or less the believers in the average people. Average people are all more or less believers. Some spirituality they will believe in. Yeah. It may not be the same thing. Hmm. Yeah. You can never convince a skeptic and you shouldn't even try. Yeah, shouldn't even
1: try. I learned only recently because no matter what you say, you'll be trying to explain it logically mm-hmm. or you'll mm-hmm. be trying to explain the concept of curiosity and mm-hmm. openness. And in their eyes, all you're doing is
0: allah, allah, allah.
1: That's, the, <laughs> that's the truth because they're already looking at you <laughs> like you're a crazy person. <laughs> so, that's
0: what it is. <laughs> the first time you went to Kamakya, so <laughs> let's, let's go back. Uh, so, first time I went to Kamakya many years ago, I had, before that I had gone to, there's another temple I really love, uh, which is, uh, it's a very small shakti bitha hmm. in Bengal, in Birbhum district. Uh, it's called Konkali Tala. It's, uh, it's a Kali temple, hmm. powerful Kali temple, beautiful Kali temple. Okay. Where I, is this? Uh, it's in interior Bengal. Okay. So I used to go there and uh, often meditate there um, and uh, you know perform uh, my own rituals there. Meditation and things like that, etc. Mantra Japa. So there I had met one individual who was very accomplished tantra sadhak. Very high caliber. Very high caliber. Perhaps one of the... Nature has been kind. I have seen many good people. So he was one of those. He had uh, various abilities and he had spent a lot of time... Uh, doing them. So now he was in a secular profession uh, means it's like this uh, there are two aspects to him the world knows one aspect of him he is in a specific profession I won't name the profession or details of it uh, because I don't know whether he'll like me mentioning all these things <laughs> uh, seems like he's famous he's famous okay. uh, let's just say in his domain okay he's famous uh, but there is the other aspect of it somebody had told him that told me that uh, you should go and speak to him about this then you will see and then I figured that oh this is very good so he had told me a few things one of the first things he had told me that I remember uh, ki you should start going to Kamakya. your route will be through that and uh, the other thing he had told me and those days I was a staunch anti-Bali individual anti-Bali just, yeah just now I am defending Bali those days I was just the opposite one degree opposite. Okay. And he had told me this, that once you go to Kamakhya, these ideas you will have to slowly get rid of. Okay. Uh, that time I was like very, this very, there are some people who are very reactive to the idea of Bali. Immediately, without logic or anything, they will start fighting. I was that type at that point. It's something very bad and, you know, this, that, a lot of things. Then he had told me that, idea tera, once you go there, the Maa Kamakya will remove that idea from your head slowly Uh, be prepared for it so I didn't take him that seriously at that time we'll see but effectively in few months I got an opportunity to go to Kamakya. it was the first time and I was I didn't understand what is Kamakhya but I was it's like a spiritual vashikaran. after I come back from that pitha I could not stop thinking of Hmm. Kamakya. something is pulling me back there Something is pulling me back there. And I kept going and going, and just like that. Half the time I didn't even understand what I am doing here. Because it's it's a different world of its own. Like that. There are 10 Mahavidya temples in Kamakya. And then there is the main Kamakya temple, Mahagamakya temple. Then there are Shiva Bhairava. Various other things are there. Um, So many experiences I've had in that place.
1: you want to talk about any of the experience?
0: Uh, I don't know. Once I was doing uh, uh, Homa, fire ritual there. Uh, Havan? Havan. It's pretty late in the night. It was going on. I started uh, around, I think, 10, 11. And it was going on till 2, 2.30. It was continuously going on. And um, I remember right in front of me, I felt the presence of a deity, for form of the mother, okay? Um, and it was a blissful feeling fantastic I had a terrific meditation almost my mind went off to some other zone only and I think even after sitting for so long it would sti- still uh, so basically once your mind enters into a higher zone it is not aware of the presence of the body anymore so in that condition you can sit for hours and hours you will not feel tired you will not feel anything okay. so like that then eventually I finished the homa and I went back to wherever I was staying, my room and all that. And uh, But I didn't take it too seriously. The part, There is a brief part of my mind that also says, could be that it's your mental projection. There was no deity. Okay. okay. So I don't take it that seriously until there's more confirmation. For Next day morning I get up and I'm having a cup of coffee at one of those small places. And I'm walking through the, uh, the stairways in Kamakya, In one of the temples suddenly, and it that time was very less crowded, at that time, very less people. <clears throat> suddenly there's this guy, uh, comes out of the temple, is, is just outside the one of the temples of the Mahavidyas and he tells me that, uh, you go in, somebody is calling you. Okay, I said that who's calling me? I have come alone. Say so, no, no. Somebody is waiting for you. Go in quickly. Huh. He says this, and he starts walking. Okay, and I'm say who is? Why will anybody call? Anyway, I got curious to see whoever it is. Maybe say somebody who knows me, something, some friend or somebody has come. So I go inside the temple. There's nobody there. Small one of the Mahavidya temples. There are ten Mahavidya temples there. So I go inside the temple. I go right into the garbhagriha. There's nobody there. The moment I step into the garbagri, I see that same deity there, which I saw last night. And that is the form of the mother I was not even worshipping. I was doing some other Huma. Okay. And then later, I figured that that specific night, that specific day, Tithi had a link to this form, the mother. It was a very blissful feeling. Same. the moment I was not even doing any sadhana. Morning, toh, I was just having a coffee and I was just walking. The moment I entered into it, that exact same feeling which I had, same experience which I had last night. And it sort of was a confirmation that it was she who had appeared and she who had... She made sure for me to understand. See, all this can still, I can put it as maybe my mind is feeling something, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But why did this person out of the blue tell me to enter key? somebody's somebody is waiting? And uh, there was no one in the temple. Whenever
1: I have a podcast guest in front of me who is relaying an anecdote, I can see that anecdote very clearly. Through what they're saying. yeah. Um, Whenever you say that you got a vision of the deity, I always just see a lot of light. Is it truly just a lot of light? Or are you actually able to see a being, a human being like figure? Are you able to see the clothes that the being is wearing?
0: Uh, More than that, not only seeing, the truth or otherwise of a vision is understood by feeling the energy of it. Uh, that's the way I see it so these things are kind of personalized to some degree so you may have done certain kinds of practices now or in past or something like that so some person may actually see a lot of things in a lot of details Another person may hear some things in lot of details. Another may feel things in lot of details, even if you don't see a thing. So there are certain kinds of, I, for lack of better words, I don't know how to describe it, but I feel certain vibrations, uh, which tells me that if there is a, the presence of a deity is there, or one of the things that the devatas can do, and it's a very, uh, it's a way to understand if a deity appears to an individual. They are spiritual, so they will pull your mind away from the material plane. It is not about powers, it is not about some light and sound show. Those things can be created by other beings also, who are not gods, who are not devatas. They can create light and sound show, they can create miraculous occurrences, they can get your stuff or whatever prayers you have. But what they cannot do is take your mind away from the material plane
1: you're talking about demons that are pretending to be devatas
0: not just demons there are parivar devatas also okay parivars are beings who surround gana. the devata gana ah, you can call they can also come sometimes okay. what they cannot do is that they cannot take your mind see this i what did i explain when i was doing the uh, when i had the vision at night even though i was sitting for such a long time my body was a bit tired obviously etc. the moment it happened the mind went off to some other zone You forget the body and in that condition, it's like Samadhi almost. You can sit for hours. No problem. This ability to pull the mind out of the material zone and give you a very deep meditation. This is one of the hallmarks of a Devata. Only a true deity can do that because they are spiritual and they have the power to pull you out. Okay. Your sense of Iness they will pull out. And you will have very blissful meditation. Meditation is the one thing that any of the other entities cannot give you. Do you want to talk about what I will ask
1: you next? (laughs) Which is that I want to know if you, because this is one emotion I've never felt from you. Fear. Oh, yes. You felt fear? Many times in life. When you talk and when you relay all these anecdotes from your life, I've never sensed a sense of fear.
0: I have not felt fear in the spiritual realm. I'm talking about the spiritual realm. But there are other things that I'm scared of. Like? Uh, sitting in a flight. Okay. Cool. <laughs> wow, really? Oh, yes. I I I may pretend to be normal, but inside all, everything is tied up. Why? I don't know. Just like that. And that's why when somebody tells me that, uh, would you go abroad? I said, if you put me in a seven hour flight, then you'll to the same I Wow. Okay. But when you look at the sky, what happens to you? Nothing. If you don't It's just an organic reaction and it's fine. Thora bat renachi is not everything should be like a machine. Okay. So that makes you more human. But yeah, spiritually, I've never had fear has not been there much, to be honest. Or I can't recall fear. Though you've seen some pretty morbid things as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about the most morbid visual you've seen? No. But you've seen something. I have seen some things. But there is this thing inside. If there is some stressful environment that is appearing, uh, there is a certain zone I can go into where I feel contact with the deity and then I don't care. Okay. I don't care. Okay. 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 You
1: know how we spoke about in the... You know, in the Bhairav podcast, we spoke about how correct Bhairav Upasana leads to dogs being drawn to you.
0: Yeah.
1: I would... Assume that when you are doing the upasana of other deities their vahans are uh,
0: No, not necessarily. There are more that's more complicated. Okay. That's more okay. complicated. Uh, Bhairav Baba is one of those deities who are slightly easier to worship if certain parameters are there as I mentioned. So dogs being his vahana uh, that's one way. In fact, some very advanced Bhairav Upasakas, very advanced highly advanced uh Suppose they were to appear in this particular locality, you will see that every dog in that locality will behave in a different manner as if that there's some military training going on, all disciplined. every word he says or not says or he reacts, they will have a certain uh, very disciplined manner in which they will behave. moment you remove that person again, they'll back to normal behavior. okay
1: um,
0: but that is mind you highly advanced level of Bhairavupasana and also to mention just because somebody loves dogs does not necessarily mean that he has the competency he or she has the competency to do Bhairavupasana it doesn't work the other way do you think big cats have
1: a relationship with Devi ma yeah they do they do in the same way that snakes probably have a
0: relationship with Shira. yeah but uh, but uh, obviously big cats so you can't find uh, in in normal uh, um, society and all that in the sense if you go to a zoo zoo is not a diff- zoo is a very different type of environment as I was mentioning, there are certain Devi rituals if done in a very, uh, those places where it's away from society and there are uh, wilder animals and all that. If the intensity of the ritual reaches a certain state of power, Shakti reaches, even wild animals will behave in a certain, uh, for lack of better words, reverential manner. And you will be amazed to see if you ever get to see anything like that. Towards you? Towards the environment. Because it is the presence of the deity that does it. The reason why, uh, when you look at the Vahana, you get some idea about... See, even the iconography of a deity is not randomly chosen. It gives you a lot of information. Of what to do, what not to do, etc. So, when... uh, So, Ma Durga rides a lion... So there is a royal authority already there. If the blessings of Durga actually truly comes to an individual, one of the first things he will become is that in that area he will be looked at as a leader. Automatically. Whatever field he is in. Suddenly people will think that oh, his guy, this guy is the one. Huh? Well, let's listen to whatever he has to say. And you don't even know why. Why you are doing this. But this is because she bestows that authority. The One of the other things that she can do is that Protect your physical body very strongly. Like a fort. The root of Durga and Durg, Durg means the fort. It's very similar Sanskrit word. Sanskrit is... When names were given in Sanskrit, they were not randomly done. There's some logic in the root of the word. That is why specific names are given to specific deities. Okay. So these are two of the primary first level things that happen to... Uh, good upasakas of Maa Durga. and Then to, that's one of the reasons why you'll see that many royal families had Durga. Maa Durga a Kulo Devi.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair.
0: But Devi has other Vahanas also. There are other forms of Devi. So not only a lion and a tiger. Ma Kali let's take. Okay? Uh, Ma Kali has various there are different types of Maa Kali. Some you can worship at home and there is some Dakshinakali, for example. True for true mantras of Dakshinakali and true paddhas of Dakshinakali or smashankali. Those are cremation ground formations. Okay, uh, You will see sometimes that they are standing on a asana. So preta is one of those spirits, right? We have talked about it, evil, negative spirits and all that. So that becomes an asana of the deity. An asana? Asana it? means just like the lion becomes an asana she's standing on the lion. Madhurga is standing on the lion. Like a vehicle. Vehicle, a exactly. Like a seat, vehicle. You can call it that. So there are forms very aggressive of Mahakali, Chamunda, etc. that can have the preta as a vehicle. And that indicates that if that sadhana is done, a certain degree of control on those entities come. and you must. But first of all, that though comes later. You must have the strength inside to uh, handle. handle it. Exactly. And those sadhas are not done at home. Those are to be done in the cremation grounds. Because I've
1: heard of Durga Maa so commercially since I was a little child and you even see the presence of Durga Maa in movies. Yeah. <laughs> Does it mean that if you do a tantra upasana of Durga Maa,
0: you have a different relationship with big cats? No, that is far off. Let's say uh, the other thing is that most of these... Uh, devatas, including Bhairav Baba, if you are doing the sadhana from your home setting, sitting in a town, etc., so you can succeed up till 30-35%. Honest opinion. Beyond that, you will not be able to go. You have to go to a temple. No, you have to go to, depends on the date, you have to go to secluded place, where there are less human beings. Human beings are the one who cause most obstruction. After a point. Okay, so you may have to, that's why Tantra Sadhana recommends certain practices after a point. So you go to a a, a remote hill or you go to a crossroads, but not normal crossroads. You can't go because there's traffic going on constantly. So you go to say some village or something outside of the village, there may be a crossroad. You can sit and do there. You can go to a hill. You can go to a cremation ground, but not all cremation grounds. The ones in the cities are overcrowded. No, you go to those places where people are less. But you should do those practices only when you have crossed certain stages where you have the protection of the deity and you have that fearlessness inside. Fearlessness comes from both facing fears as well as being absolutely not a false confidence, a deep-seated realization of the power of the deity you are worshipping. You know that if there is trouble, there is help. You've performed rituals in graveyards? Graveyards? No. Cremation grounds? Yes.
1: Cremation grounds you have? Um <laughs> what does it feel like? Beautiful. Beautiful. Why?
0: Why I can't describe it. Feels beautiful. But you're surrounded by death. Yeah. It's there is a vital power in there. What is the vital power? No, no. The, what no? It is like there is a different type of power in that space. Okay. Okay, you use that power in the sadhana that helps to give a tremendous boost to the practice that you are doing and it has to be very you have to be clear about whom you are worshipping so every deity cannot be worshipped obviously so you can worship those forms who can be worshipped there okay Bhairav Baba can be worshipped he is uh, fundamentally a deity of the cremation ground which is why I recommend people most people to do Vatuka upasara Vatuka as a child can come to the home for other forms of Baba. After a point, he will pull you somewhere. You must have that steadiness. So, it's beautiful. And there are many things involved in this. So, these these sadhanas related to the cremation ground are also a part of Tantra. It falls under a category that is known as Virachara. Vira Vira means somebody who is brave. Okay, that uh, in olden time texts there is something mentioned as veer siddhi veer siddhi means basically that you attain to a certain confidence in yourself after doing a practices and you have to be ratified by a guru of course you cannot do self ratification uh, that he says that you are fit to do sadharas. okay uh, that time you can enter the cremation ground. It is not compulsory for everybody to enter the cremation ground. By the way, tantra has also this fluidity. So the guru decides ki whether ye bande ke liye hai ki nahi. once he or she decides, then there are then there are practices. You have to first thing you have to know is how to protect yourself. You cannot enter that zone without protection. Number two, you will need is some grace of Bhairava. I remember once long back, I had gone to a cremation ground to do a specific ritual. <clears throat> uh, the moment I was about to enter, I felt uh, there was an obstruction from, from somebody there. Uh, one of the uh, people who helped the domes, he came and said, no, you can't enter. Just like that. He was drunk. Which is, I didn't argue with him. I didn't uh, want to argue at all. Okay, I said, okay, no problem. So I sat down outside of the cremation ground, and I kept doing mantra of the mother. Okay. And I told her that I have come all this way. You get it done. I don't care how you do it. For one hour, I sat there, just outside, not even entering. No arguments with him. It's not like, oh, how can you stop me? I'm not even going there. Okay. Just like that, I sat for an hour. And then, end of the hour, out of the blue, there's this black dog that comes and sits on my lap. Moment the dog comes, I know. Avi He comes, I pat his head, he gets up, goes straight into the cremation ground. There are a few pyas wording, sits next to a pyre, and I go and follow the dog and I perform my ritual. And I start at 12:30 at night. I finish at sunrise. It was the most blissful ritual I had ever done. When I completed the ritual, in and around that area, every single dog came. I think 10, 15 of them just surrounded me. I am not an organic animal lover, by the way. Let me be very clear. There are people who are naturally animal lovers, that is fine. I am not. But in the ritual setting, my mind changes everything. Everything, look at it. I took it as it was it's beautiful. And the presence of those dogs at the last moment was like the icing on the cake proverbial. It showed to me that the deity was very pleased with what I had done. It was, just, it was not, a, there's nothing negative in it. It's just worship of God. That's all. Worship of the devata who likes coming to those places. Okay. And when I sat down for the first time, I realized that I had made a mistake in approaching that space from a specific direction. I should have approached from another direction. There's something blocking that way. So first thing I sat down and I invoked Bhairav Baba and said that Baba I will do this ritual you protect. And once I started that ritual that same guy who had obstructed me he came there, he saw it. I don't know what came over he didn't say a single word. Not one obstruction at all. Not one word.
1: What if it was Bhairav himself?
0: Ah, I don't know. I'm just saying uh, it was uh, that was one of the experiences I still have. That feeling I have. It's not about the ritual. Or At the end of the day, whatever you're doing, whether you're doing there or you're doing a mantra japa at home. And some people have this fascination. When I was less mature, I used to have the fascination that something is going on in the cremation world. No, it's not like that. That same feeling can also come right inside your puja room. And if your sadhana is not working into your home, where in the comfort of your home, it is not going to work other places also. You can run 10 different worlds, 10 different, so you cannot go and have in the restaurant. Your sadhana works at home. You feel that joy and that happiness and that connection to the deity, that love you have to feel. You have to love the deity more than everybody else, everything else in the world. And that love is something you cannot force on somebody. It comes from within eventually. When you realize that how deep is your connection to your ishta how long you have been worshipping, certain things they reveal to you and all that, then you feel that yeah, it's not like human love. It's not. They are different. If they decide to come to an individual, it is for lifetimes after lifetimes. You can be born in Antarctica also next lifetime, they'll find you. It is not like human love. Human love is Aaj laga kal, something or the other happens. And by the human love means all human love. Even with child and parent. I have seen so many things in cases and various things etc. But theirs is very different. Either they will not come and if they come they will be with you. And they expect you to have that kind of consistency. And That is the, one of the primary reasons why natives don't come to humans so easily. Because humans are fickle. You have to transform yourself. You feel a certain degree of strength inside you, a certain power inside you. What that power is doing is it is expanding you psychologically, both here and there's a vertical expansion that happens, there's a horizontal expansion that happens in deeper states. What it is doing is making you, we call it the Adhara, it is changing. Adhara means your mind and body. It's changing these things so you become capable of loving a devata. In your confined human condition, most people are not capable. And that is why sadhana takes lifetimes and lifetimes. So the reason I diverge into this is because very often immature people, if they hear this, they think that, oh, let's go to the cremation ground. Do not do that. You will invite innumerable troubles. Sit at home and do your sadhana with discipline. Enjoy it here. Then everything will happen. I have another opinion about uh, the concept of gurus. So human gurus are important, I feel, uh, and they will always be important because most Of humanity, as I mentioned, it's very difficult to connect to a deity. To love a deity, something who doesn't have a physical presence, it's very difficult. You have to change yourself, and that is the sadhana. But suppose an individual comes along who has that ability to actually love a deity, and suppose can make a deity as his or her guru. It's very rare, but it's possible. Then that individual. The blessings a deity gives to an individual is so remarkable that you will be, that individual will be known for a very long time in that specific area as somebody remarkable. And there are many examples of this. Uh, One of the typical examples. And this was explained to me again for the sake of uh, clarity. Not that I figured it out, but this was explained to me by that Siddha whom I speak about often. It's the most powerful man I've interacted with. Arjuna. In the Mahabharata, he had many gurus. So he had uh, Drona as one of his uh, gurus. And then there's a the Kula Guru and all that, etc. And yet we know him as Gandiva Arjun. That word has stuck with him, Gandiva. So Gandiva is what? A divine weapon. Who gives it to him? Agni gives it to him. Who is Agni? He's a god. The moment a deity interacts with an individual, truly a Devada interacts, he or she can in a second can do something to you. He'll make sure that you will be known for something for a very long time. He'll make you exceptional in some zone and area. Look at Kalidasa. The story of Kalidasa is so inspiring. So he is a, he's like a fool, a murkha. not can't speak Sanskrit, can't speak any. Those days everybody could speak Sanskrit. And then he to the king to make, uh, you know, take sort of revenge on his daughter gets him married. And then the daughter realizes at night that this is just a fool who doesn't know do anything. She gets very angry. And Kalidasa feels insulted. And she so he runs, and finally the story goes that he falls, and uh, there's blood that comes out. Okay. And the moment blood comes out, Kali, Ma Kali appears. Okay. And uh, he's scared. He doesn't want to he says that oh, I want to end my life and all that. No, he gives him a blessing. And after that, till today, people are saying that there is nobody like Kalidasa. A deity gives a blessing to somebody, Ramakrishna Panamamsa. So many gurus he had, all of them are wonderful and praiseworthy. But what makes Ramakrishna today somebody whom the world worships as Thakur, all Bengalis worship him more or less. The world considers him to be one of the greatest saints. This all happened with the first experience when he saw Makali. When a true Devata comes to an individual, he or she transforms that individual in a manner, gives him a shakti, infuses a particular shakti whose ripples will be felt in a long time in a specific area. That is one of the hallmarks of a true deity.
1: Do you have any idea how much people demand for more podcasts with you? <laughs> no. Yeah, but sometimes people send me, but uh, yeah. Okay. Under uh, any spiritual podcast we do? There's always three or four top comments with your name, with 500 likes, 700 likes. That's how much you're in demand on the internet. Have you ever kind of looked at your own life from an external perspective in this stage? In terms of the
0: sudden spike up of fame that's yeah. happened in your own journey? Yeah, I, I, I have pondered about it. Uh, because I, my life is going very smooth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> smooth and happy and nice. And then suddenly my mailbox is flooded. Okay. And uh, I have come to the a very objective analysis. I have come to the conclusion that it is some will of the deities I worship who have caused this. And they have certain purpose. Uh, certain, uh, I believe that they want me to inspire a few people, certain people to take simple, powerful Devata Upasanas. Continue that because perhaps uh, this land, this culture needs uh, some things and sort of a preparation for some uh, changes that may come in 10-20 years. Something like that. Uh, to that effect, I try and guide people as far as it's possible for me. Simple sadhanas. Do not have to do a lot of complicated stuff. But do it regularly. Do it with uh, mm, love, love, dedication. Perseverance is more important than miracles. Mm, Discipline. Discipline is more important than miracles. Miracles will wear out. But discipline is what is going to take you forward. And to that extent, I have introduced a lot of people to Bhairav Baba Upasana. Specifically after the podcast. Before that also I had done, but after the podcast, many people. Uh, And I'm happy to note that a lot of people are doing simple sadhanas. You don't have to do complicated things. I'm not asking you to go to the cremation ground or do anything of that sort. Sit at home. Simple things. But let the energy of the deities work through you in your life. Bring about a transformation both spiritually. Uh, So it don't approach this thing, I tell people, uh, with the idea that some problem is going to get solved. Temporarily, some problem may get solved. But there will be new problems. Life is a problem. Nobody in the world has been ever born without problems. Neither are you going to have a life without problems, nor me, nor anybody in the future. But, at least some cushioning in that problems and that ability eventually, if the deity and the mantra works in you, to feel joy and happiness even inside the problem. You feel it's very difficult to describe First, you have to cut yourself off from the surrounding. You are in there, in the middle of everything but you're still separate from it. When that separation is formed inside, then you will be able to connect to the deities. And you will feel, once you do that, they can show you things and they can make you experience. And it's wonderful. The whole world seems like perfect. Even if there are hundred crimes going on, 10,000 murders and this and whatever is going on, suddenly you'll feel at one moment that, no, no, everything in this moment is perfect. And there is a greater intelligence that is governing. You are an instrument of it. But you are a very happy instrument of it. So, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's like I am going along my path, my sadhana, which I enjoy. In between, uh, it's it's more like, suppose I was going to X direction and somebody says, Achha, if you are going there, you know, the market is also that. Say, can you buy a few things and bring? I said, okay, theek hai. that's not my primary purpose. My primary purpose is my own sadhana and enjoyment of life through sadhana which I am doing meanwhile if there are people who gather around and they want to do sadhana see you in 2024 now sir yes (laughs) Rajesh Nandi sir thank you
1: from the bottom of my heart from the bottom of the hearts of all the listeners who have been waiting to hear and see more of you yeah Uh, I hope we I did justice to your subject matter in this one. I know that in these four episodes, it was kind of more in the domain that you would like to talk about yes. versus the kind of stuff that sells. <laughs> I think that time we were just trying to put you out there for the audiences. Yeah, right? Uh, and in these four conversations, I've just had a very free-flowing download of information. with right. you. So thank you, sir. I know this is not at all the last time we are <laughs> doing this. Uh, yeah. Meeting, talking, yeah. learning. Uh, just big thank
0: you. End of Thank marathon. you for having me and uh, Joy Joy Bhairav Bhava. May the deities bless all the listeners and give them more spiritual power and more spiritual inspiration to carry on in the path and enjoy the beauty of sadhana. That's all I can say.
1: Amazing. Thank you again, sir. Namaste. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. That was the episode for today and that brings us to the end of this Rajashi Nandi series that we had, of course, sir is going to be back on the show. But what I really want to know from you guys, the viewers and listeners of TRS is that the next time he's here, what would you like me to ask him? What topics would you like covered, which have not already been covered because we've done a bunch of episodes with him, both in English and in Hindi. If you've not seen our Hindi episodes with him, there's newer, fresher content that's uploaded there which is why I'm a little confused about what I should talk about to him the next time. Please let me know. We're very open to your suggestions. Um, Rajashi Sir also goes through the comment section. So if you have messages for him, comment down below. Sir is going to be back on the show very, very soon. And until then, keep supporting TRS if you're done consuming all of Rajashi Sir's episodes. Here's some more episodes with other people who spoke about Tantra with the Buddhist perspective on Tantra, with maybe a slightly millennial perspective on Tantra. So make sure you check out these other guest episodes as well. TRS will be back very, very soon.